If you've got a Bible with you, uh, either a, a one on your phone or a real life one with pages, old-timey Bible that uh, most of you grew up with, uh, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament. Everything's going to be on the screen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It's going to be up there. But Philippians is in the New Testament. It's after First and Second Corinthians, Acts, all that stuff. And then you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So you can find it. Uh, in there. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 12 in just a little bit. We are continuing a series of messages that we started three weeks ago, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians all the month of October, all the month of November. They're going to take a break in December and uh, talk about Christmas and all that good stuff, and then we're going to go back to Philippians in January and February. So we're going to go through the whole four chapters uh, in the next couple of months. And one of the things that I challenged you to do a couple of weeks ago, and I'll just bring that out again, take some time, sit down, read the whole book of Philippians from start to finish in one sitting. Like I said, it's four chapters. It should probably take you 20 minutes, uh, maybe 40 uh, if, you, if you read slow like me. Um, <clears throat> if you're a speed reader like my wife, you can do it about seven minutes either way. But just uh, read through all four chapters of that, and uh, it'll just do, do you good to sit and read the whole thing from start to finish, because what this is, like we talked about last week, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had started. And so, uh, so we're, you're reading a letter, so instead of just, today we're taking seven verses out of that letter, and we're going to look at that, but it, but it would do you good to read the whole thing from start to finish. Um, <clears throat> there are... Uh, well, let me let you know one thing that's going on today, just in case you're wondering. If you're thinking that the crowd looks a little older today than usual, it's because of all our teenagers and our young people are at a, a fall retreat this week. So that's, that's Mike is filling in for Ben because he is there with a bunch of our adults and a bunch of our teenagers, and they're having a great time up at Look Up Lodge. So, uh, so continue to pray for them. If you haven't already been doing so, start praying for them. They've got another session today, and then they'll be coming home this afternoon. And we're already hearing about great stuff that God's doing up there. So you're going to hear about that some next week as well. Um, I, I don't know how many of you have ever thought about some of the important questions that you have to ask yourself as a human being living on the face of the earth. Uh, some of the things that you have to ask yourself are things like, uh, what kind of job do I want to have? At some point, everybody has to answer that question whether you've been offered a job and you think, do I want this one? And if, if you're unemployed and you've been offered a job, yes, that's the one you want. It doesn't matter. Take that one while you search for the perfect one. But either way, but you also might want to ask yourself, where do I want to live? Do I want to stay in Greer the rest of my life? Or do I want to live somewhere else? Or you know, do I want to live in another country? You've got to answer those kinds of questions. Uh, you might have to ask yourself, do I want to be married? Um, <clears throat> if you're already married, again, the answer to that is yes. You do want to be married, and it's to the person you're with, and you need to work that thing out. But if you're not married, do I want to be married? And do I want to marry this one or that one? And uh, <clears throat> once you're married, do I want to have kids? And again, what, if you already have kids, the answer to that is yes. But you might not want to, but you're stuck with them, and you've got to raise them one way or the other. And so we, ha we have all those big questions in life <clears throat> that we have to answer. One question that, that is uh, probably the biggest question that I don't think we think about a lot because maybe because it's kind of deep and scary, and maybe because we don't really know how to answer it, is what is my purpose? I, I think at some point all of us have to struggle with that question, what is your purpose? And, and why, why are you here? And, and not only why are you here on earth, but why are you in the particular place that you are right now? Is that an accident that you are there? Or is that some kind of providence of God that he's put you there? Why 
are you there? What is your purpose? And I think all of us have to struggle with that question. Well, last week, if you were here, and um, we, we talked about uh, the, the verses preceding the ones this week and the one immediately preceding the verse we're going to talk about this week, verse 11. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul kind of answers for us what our purpose is for all of us, the big purpose. He said there that, that we're to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, all of our big purpose in, in life is to, is to bring glory to God. And so wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing, that's our purpose. We're supposed to be bringing glory to God. But, but there's a, a question that goes beyond that when we talk about what is, is your purpose, what is my purpose. Because we figure out, okay, my, my purpose is to bring, glory to, God, to bring glory to God, but how specifically am I supposed to do that? How specifically are you supposed to do that? Because the way I'm supposed to do that, the life I'm living is not for everyone else. Not everyone is called to do what I'm doing today, to stand up here on this stage and to teach. That's not all of, you, that's not all of your calling. Some of you have, have been specifically gifted by God in ways that other people have not been gifted. You've been placed in a place where other people have not been placed, and God is calling you to a specific purpose that, that is, is just for you, for where you are. How do you bring glory to God in that place where he has put you? Well... The Apostle Paul was someone who knew what his purpose was. In fact, if there was ever anyone on earth that was more sure of his purpose than Paul, I would like to meet them because Paul knew why he was here. Paul knew that his purpose, that God had specifically gifted him, he had, he had put him in the right place, and what he was supposed to do was to take the gospel, which is the story of Jesus, the good news, he was supposed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were the people like us. They were non-Jewish people. And so Paul knew that was his purpose in life. That was what he was living for. At one time in his life, he was living for stopping the church, persecuting the church, doing all he could to, to, to stop the gospel from spreading. And then God got a hold of him in a dramatic way, changed his life, and from then on, he had a single-minded purpose, and that was to take the story of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the people who had never heard it. And he was doing it. If you read through the book of Acts, you can see story after story of these journeys Paul would take. He would get on ships and he would sail to places most people didn't go to. And there when he would get there, he would start a church. And then he would leave that place and he'd go to another place and he'd start a church. And then he'd start finding out about problems at the last church that he started. And so he'd write letters to them and say, y'all are being idiots. Let me tell you what you're supposed to be doing right. And then he'd go start a third church. And then he'd have to write letters to the previous two churches. And he was going and he was doing it. He was spreading the gospel. People were being saved. And, and the gospel was being spread to the Gentiles. And then, all of a sudden, while he's doing that, he gets put in prison. He gets put in prison for doing the very thing God called him to do. And that had to be discouraging. Imagine if you knew your purpose. If you knew your purpose as, as strong as Paul knew his purpose. And you're being faithful, and then all of a sudden it seems like God has stopped you from doing what he called you to do. Paul could have been discouraged. Paul could have looked at this and said, I'm in prison now. I guess the, the gospel to the Gentiles thing is over. Uh, I, I'm done. It was, God, we had a good run, but, but now it's, it's stopped. And I don't know why you stopped it. But, but let's look at what happened once Paul got into prison. And let's see what God did, how he could even use prison 
to continue Paul's purpose. Look at with me while I read Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. If you're taking notes today, I wanna, I'm going to tell you what the big idea of this message is today and the big idea that's going to kind of overarch everything we talk about today. So I want you to write this down at the top of your notes page or type it into your iPad or whatever. This is the big idea for today that I think is important. When your purpose is the same as God's purpose, the results are up to Him. When your purpose is the same as God's purpose, the results are are up to him. See, as Paul thought about his life now that he was in prison, it seems like that everything had come to, to a head to where now he could no longer fulfill the purpose that God had for him. But what Paul understood and what Paul learned while he was in prison is that even though things seemed on the outside to be stopping it, things seemed to get to a point to where his purpose was now over, that God would even use those things to make his purpose continue. Because the results of what happened were not up to Paul, the results were up to God. And that's why Paul was able to say in verse 18, in the last verse that we read today, when he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That was what was most important, is that Christ would be proclaimed. See, there's a, there's a couple things that, that we see in these, these uh, verses here and that we see in our lives that can get in the way, that we can allow to get in the way of us fulfilling our purpose. And the first one is this, is our circumstances. See, Paul's circumstance was he was in prison. But I want you to know today that God's purpose is bigger than your circumstances. God's purpose is bigger than your circumstances. If God has given you something that he wants you to do, that it's not just your purpose, it's his purpose for you. So your purpose is his purpose. And we know that if that's true, then the results are up to him. Then don't you think that God is going to overcome whatever circumstances in your life that seems to be keeping you from being able to do what he has called you to do? See, one of the scariest things about this life is, is that the majority of stuff that we deal with, we have no control over. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Let me just, let me just wor work it out for you and make you so scared that you're going to be afraid to leave here in just a minute. But, but if you think about it, we, we really we have no control over most of everything that happens. Uh, when you get to work tomorrow, there's a few things you can control, but you can't control the, uh, the responses of your coworkers. If you're the boss, you can't control the responses of your employees. And uh, you can't, con if you're the employee, you can't control if your boss came in in a bad mood or not. You're going to walk out of here, you're going to get in a car. You can control you, but all those thousands of other idiots out there, you can't control them. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. And if we think about that too much, we start thinking, wow, 
there's all this stuff. All this stuff is happening to me, and, and this stuff that's happening to me, it's out of my control, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get in the way of what God wants me to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stop what it is that God wants me to do. That can paralyze us. And maybe, maybe you're like Paul, you know your purpose, or you think you know your purpose. Maybe you're right on the edge, and you think, this is what, this is what God wants me to do. But there's something standing in the way of that. And, and for Paul, it was prison. And, and maybe you're thinking, I'm not in prison, but, but I've got something just as big. Here's what I know I want to do, and, and here's the thing that's stopping me from doing it. Maybe, maybe there's not enough money in it. You think, I can't do that because there's not enough money, or, or it, would, it would force me to have to relocate, or it would force me to have to basically start over my career, or, or whatever it is. And, and you know that, that there's something God wants you to do, and there's these things, these circumstances in the way. I want you to know that God is bigger than all of those. Look at what he did for Paul. Paul was in prison. What bigger stumbling block, what bigger barrier to keep him from being able to share the gospel is there being in prison? Now he can't go on these trips. Now he can't start new churches. But what does it say happened in verse 12? Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So God not only is bigger than that circumstance, but he actually used the very circumstance that it would seem like would stop Paul from sharing the gospel. He used that circumstance for the gospel to go places it had never been before. You know that word advance in that verse there? That is a Greek word that is the same word that if you were a a commander of an army and, and and you had... Uh, uncharted territory in front of you and you had one of your scouts and you would say I want you to go and I want you to blaze a trail I want you to go set the trail that the rest of us are going to follow that's the same word that's used there when Paul says that the gospel is being advanced so what Paul is saying is he's saying the gospel is now because he's in prison the gospel is going places that it's never gone before see Paul's purpose was not being stopped It was being helped by the very circumstance that seemed to be stopping it. And and where where was it going? Where was one of those places? Well, look at verse 13. It says this, Paul says that it served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard were, these these were the, the, the bodyguards of Caesar who was the head of Rome, who was at that time the most powerful political man in the world. Rome was the most powerful country in the world. Caesar was the head of Rome, so he was the most powerful person in the world. And Paul says, since I've been in prison, I've been able to share the gospel with the guys who guard Caesar, with the secret service of Rome. That's who he was sharing the gospel with. These guys are one step away. They can whisper into the ear of the most powerful man in the world, and I'm able to share the gospel with them. Paul said, Things are happening here. Me being in prison is causing things to happen. I'm able to share the gospel with people who never would have heard it before. If Paul had never been put in prison, he would never have had the opportunity to share the gospel with people who were so close to Caesar, so close to the most powerful man in the world. And then look at the next thing that happens. This is the most amazing. Verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, remember that, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, I want you to turn to someone to your right or your left, and I just want you to guess, and and you might, you know, maybe you don't know the answer, but just guess an answer. I want you to tell the person to your right and left, why do you think, 
the Roman government, why do you think they had Paul put in prison? Just tell someone to the right or the left of you. Why do you think they put him in jail? All right, anybody got an answer? Shout it out. Scare him, good. Silence him, yeah, I think that's the two things. I think they put, they put Paul in prison to shut him up. Hey, the, 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 the gospel, these churches that were starting were, were threat to the Roman government because here's what the Roman government was teaching. The Roman government was teaching that basically Caesar was God. So he is not only your political leader, he is your spiritual leader. He is the one that you are dedicating your life to. And here you have Paul and you have these other guys who were followers of Jesus and they're coming and they're saying, listen, Caesar, he's just a man. He's going to die one day. Let me tell you about the guy who died and came back to life and he's coming back again. He was telling the gospel. And so when they threw Paul in prison, they thought, let me tell you, they, they thought, let's, let's have a meeting here. What are we going to do about this, this church stuff that's starting? And they said, well, Paul seems to be the main guy. Let's get rid of him. We get rid of Paul. He'll be shut up. And then after he's shut up, guess what will happen? Everyone else will be scared because they're going to see what we did to Paul and they're not going to want to share this story that they're sharing anymore about this guy who died and came back to life. And so they threw Paul in prison expecting that to happen. But here, here's what the Roman government didn't expect. The Roman government didn't know that God was bigger than the Roman government. The Roman government didn't know that God was bigger than putting someone in prison. And so the very thing that they used to try to shut Paul up, the very thing that they used to try to scare the daylights out of everyone else, you know what it did? It made everyone else more excited. And it made everyone else more bold. It says there in verse 14 that the brothers have become confident. Why? By my imprisonment. So the minute that Paul went in prison, you would think that that would be, oh, this is terrible, our leader's in prison. No, all of a sudden, now they're more confident than they've ever been. They're more bold than they've ever been. They're more excited than they've ever been about sharing the gospel because God's purpose was bigger than the Roman government. God's purpose was bigger than the circumstances of Paul being, being put into prison. Now, I want to just say this as a side note. This doesn't have a whole lot to do with today's message, but I just want to say this, just thinking about our country today that we live in. Um, what, what happened to, to Paul and to the followers of Jesus at that time, that is what always has happened in the history of the church. You read the Bible, you read the history of the church. Anytime a government or anytime an individual tries to persecute people for following Jesus, anytime that happens, it explodes the church explodes. There's more gospel shared than has ever been shared. And right now in our country, I don't know if you know this or not, but right now in our country, the church is declining, is in a state of decline. Even though we've got churches that are gathering 20,000 people on a Sunday, overall the church is in decline. And it has nothing to do with how big we've got some churches. Overall, there are less churches doing well than has ever been in this country. You know where the church right now is doing fantastic and is blowing up and there are hundreds of churches being started every day? In China, where it's illegal to go to church, where it's illegal to talk about Jesus. Anytime the church is persecuted, it explodes. That's what God does. I'm not praying this is going to happen, but if, if people started arresting guys like me on Sunday morning, for if, if, if I got arrested today, not for crystal meth that I'm cooking at my house that y'all don't know about. Just kidding. But if I got arrested today for preaching the gospel, 
If Drew Hines down the road here at Washington Baptist Church got arrested today for preaching the gospel, if Eddie Leppard at Fairview Baptist Church got arrested, if Scott McAllister at Springwell got arrested, if all of us guys who stand up here on Sunday morning, if the, if the police came in and arrested us for sharing the gospel and threw us in prison, you know what would happen? There would be a lot of you that you wouldn't be scared anymore. There would be a lot of you that you'd be angry about what happened and you'd be more bold than you've ever been to share the gospel. That's what happens when the church is persecuted the church grows. And I, I, like I said, I'm not praying for it. But I think sometimes in our country, we have gotten way too comfortable that we can just show up and go to church or we can not show up and go to church. We can just kind of come and go as we want to and it's no big deal. Where when you go to China, if you make a, a, a commitment to go to church, you're putting your life on the line and those people believe it. And they memorize the Bible. They don't throw it away and forget to bring it to church. They don't throw it away and never read it during the week. It's their lifeline. It's their lifeblood. All right, that's a, that's a side note there. Okay, so the one thing that God is bigger than, God is bigger than our circumstances. There's another thing in our life that sometimes will stand in the way of us fulfilling God's purpose, and that is uh, the, the actions and the opinions of other people. The actions and opinions of other people will sometimes get in the way of us fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. Now, when I was a teenager uh, back in the 80s, there was this word that came out. I think Dr. James Dobson was the first one to create it. So my parents talked about it a lot, and my youth workers talked a lot about it a lot, and people started talking about peer pressure. I'd never heard of peer pressure, and you don't hear that term that much anymore. But it's the idea that as a teenager, sometimes you don't make good decisions because you've got a bunch of friends, and they're all doing stupid stuff, and you want to be like them, so you do stupid, stupid stuff with them. We don't hear that term a lot as adults, but I'm going to tell you that, that even though we don't talk about peer, peer pressure, the truth truth is there are people in your life that whether you want to admit it or not, sometimes you take steps and sometimes you don't take steps based on their approval or their disapproval of you. Sometimes there are people in your life that, that there's something that you feel like God wants you to do. There's something that you feel like is your purpose, but you know that it's going to create so much problems within your family or, or within the place you work or within your circle of friends that maybe you don't take the step that you need to take because we are concerned about the opinions and we're concerned about the actions of other people. Well, in, in this story here, when we, we read about Paul, there were people that, that were, had some opinions about Paul. Look what it says here in verses 15 through 17. So Paul's in prison, and it says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there were these people out there, and let's focus on the ones who were trying to afflict Paul in his imprisonment first. There were some people out there that here's Paul. He's, he's at a low point. He's at the, the lowest point he's ever been in his life. He's put in prison for doing what God's called him to do. And there were some guys who were followers of Jesus. Not only were they followers of Jesus, they were telling people about Jesus. And it seems to, that Paul didn't have a problem with what they were saying about Jesus because he doesn't say in there, listen, don't listen to what they're saying, it's wrong. He's saying they're preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus just like I am. But not only were they doing that, they were looking to kick Paul while he was down. It says that in verse 17 that, that they were not doing it not sincerely but thinking to afflict him in his imprisonment. And then it says in verse 15 that they were preaching Christ, but they were doing it out of rivalry. 
Now, why should there be rivalry among people that are both followers of Jesus? That ne- thank goodness that does not happen anymore today. Aren't y'all glad about that? See, one of the things that can be difficult when you're trying to follow God's path for you, and you know you're doing what God wants you to do, and you're not a perfect person, but, you, but you're making your best effort at it, and you're trying to follow God, and then you've got some people that they look for every opportunity to criticize what you've got going on. And I was just kidding, of course, a while ago about that doesn't happen today. You know, one of the, the saddest things that, um, that you'll find is, um, I don't know if you know this or not, our church is about 10 years old, and, uh, and I, whether you know this or not, um, most churches that start like ours do don't survive the first four or five years. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of like startup businesses. Most businesses don't survive when they when they start. Churches are the same way. And um, and I've known several pastors of churches that they did just like us. They started, and, and uh, some I know several that have made it. I know several that that didn't make it. And I'm friends with all those guys. And I've talked to the guys who are the, were the pastors of the churches who started and for a while seemed to be doing good and then uh, ended up dying. And I, and I started to talk to them and I asked them about their experience. And let me tell you, the experience that's the same of every pastor I've ever talked to in that situation. As they said, man, we, we started, things were good, everybody was excited, stuff was happening, it was awesome. And then we hit this bump in the road, whatever it might be. You know, some guys, it was we had a staff member that you know, had an affair and did something stupid and we had to fire them and then people got upset or we just had some people leave because we weren't building a building fast enough or whatever. I mean, all these different things happened. He said, in the moment we got to the point to where it started to be difficult, the moment when the pressure got hard and got, got too tough, he said, that's when people started to attack me. That's what I've heard this from several pastors. And, uh, and I, even, one, even one of these guys um, who was a friend of mine, somebody from his church came to our church. Now, get this. And, and this guy had been attacking that pastor, and he came here one Sunday, and he heard me preach. And so then he had lunch with that pastor the next week, and he said, let me tell you something. I was at Freedom Fellowship this past week, and Cliff Marshall, that guy, he is called to preach. I can tell it. God, he is called. He is a teacher of God. And then he had the gall to look in this guy's face and say, are you sure that God has called you to be a pastor? Now, what this guy didn't know was that me and that pastor are friends. And so he called me like right after that lunch. By the way, that guy's not here. He came to this church for a long time. He's not here anymore. And when he left, I was just, you know, I rolled out the red carpet for him, was glad for him to go because it was eventually he was going to do the same thing to me. Because what happens is with some people is when times get tough, when it gets difficult, they want to attack. And so Paul was experiencing that. Paul was experiencing these people attacking him. And see, we have a word for those people today. This word didn't exist in Paul's day. But the word we have for those people today is these are haters. That's what these guys were. They were haters, all right? And I want you to know that God is not only bigger than your circumstances, God is bigger than the haters, God is bigger than the haters because the haters are always going to be there. There's always going to be someone when you're following the path God has laid out for you, when you're excited about what it is that God's called you to do, there's always going to be someone who's going to look for the most negative thing they can say. And so here Paul was in prison. He was, he was experiencing this, and they had some people that were saying, yeah, but if Paul was a real follower of Jesus, he wouldn't be in jail. 
and follow, listen to what I have to say. Instead, I'm going to start this church, and I'm not in jail. I'm right here with you. I don't know, you know, whatever these guys were saying, but they were haters. But now, God is bigger than the haters, and one of the ways we know that God is bigger than the haters, look at verse 15 and 16 again, what it says there. Paul said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. See, one of the big problems with the haters are haters are louder than everybody else. You hear the haters above everyone else. But I want you to understand something, and what Paul experienced here too, is that every time you're trying to do what it is God wants you to do, and you have someone in your life who's a hater, someone who's telling you of why it can't be done, someone who's telling you of all your past failures and why it would never work out, someone who's waiting and ready to rejoice when you fall back away from what God's called you to do, that even though you've got those people in your life, God has also put people in your life to encourage you. God has also put people in your life to tell you, keep going, follow the path God has for you. He's going to win out in the end so that he is bigger than the haters. And the biggest way is God's bigger than the haters is that he puts encouragers in your life as well. And we need to listen to the encouragers and not so much to the haters. Now, let me just say something. This is kind of a side note too, but, but listen to me because this might be the only thing some of you need to hear today. If you're not a hater, you need to speak up in the lives of your friends. Um, and I know it's easier to criticize than it is to encourage. And I'll give you an example, and it's, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this, but let's say you go to, uh, uh, let me just pick a, a restaurant that n- nobody, I don't know, I, I, I don't even want to pick a restaurant because it might offend someone. But you go to a restaurant, your favorite restaurant, all right? You go in, you get terrible service. The waiter sneezes on your salad when they bring it out. They spill, you know, an iced tea on your lap. It's just terrible. They don't even apologize for it. They don't give any money off and that stuff. Now, what are you going to do, chances are, where you're ticked off, you're probably going to send off a scathing email to the manager or you're going to call the manager of that restaurant and demand that something be done, right? And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. We should do that. But let's say you go to that same restaurant and you have the most amazing service you've ever had. That, you know, the, the, the waiter comes out and, and he can tell you've had a bad day and he gives you a foot massage for free and doesn't, you know, it's, and it's, not in a, it's not like a creepy foot massage. It's like a real legit, you're happy that he did this, you know. And, and then, and then uh, you've got your kids with you and, and he, he runs out and, and goes to Walmart and buys like your kids, you know, toys and brings it. It's just, just this amazing stuff. Now, you might give them a big tip, but would you then call the next day, hey, I just want to let you know, this dude that works for you, he is an amazing foot massager and waiter, and he's just the best that we've ever had. Probably not, because we're quicker to say, I didn't like this, than we are to say, hey, I really liked this. And so if if you're involved in someone's life, and and they're fulfilling God's purpose, and you're, you're able to see that they're doing that, you need to take the opportunity to be an encourager to them. You need to take the opportunity to, to speak into their life and say, man, I just want you to know, I see God working in you, and I'm excited about what he's doing, and I want to I encourage you to keep doing that. Because let me tell you what's happening. While you're doing that, there's someone else, there's a hater on the other side saying, you're a loser, there's no way you should be doing that. You need to quit that and, and go back to what you were doing before, whatever it is. So if, you, if you're not a hater, then you need to be sure that you speak up because we need to quit letting the haters be the loudest people in the room, and we need to speak up and be encouragers because God's purpose is bigger 
than the haters. Now, the biggest way that we know that God's purpose is bigger than the haters that we see in this scripture, it goes back to what our big point of the day is. So what is our big point? When your purpose is the same as God's purpose, the results are up to him. And I want you to underline the results are up to him for this part. When your purpose is the same as God's purpose, the results are up to him. Look what it says. Look, how does Paul respond to the attacks? So he's got some people that are preaching Christ and they're being encouragement to Paul. You've got some people that are also preaching Christ, but at the same time they're looking at it as an opportunity to kick Paul while he's down, to, to put him down what he's done. And what is Paul's response to both of it? Verse 18, he says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, God was able to use guys with bad motivation to spread the gospel. God was able to use guys with selfishness in their hearts who just wanted to hurt Paul. He was still able to even use that to fulfill Paul's purpose. Why? Because the results weren't up to Paul. The results were up to God. And God's God's purpose was the, the gospel was going to be shared with the Gentiles whether Paul was a part of it or not, because the results were God's, and Paul just wanted to do all he could to be a part of what God's purpose was, and so that God's purpose became his purpose. God can speak through whoever he wants to speak through. I want you to know today that God is bigger than your circumstances, and God is bigger than the haters in your life. And so you need to ask yourself the question, what is my purpose? What is your purpose? Let me tell you what your purpose is not. Your purpose is not trying to earn as much money as you can so you can retire at age 50. That's a good, Listen, I want to do that myself. Not looking too good right now. I've got five years left, and it's, it's just not going to happen. But, that, but that's, a good, that's, a, that's a good goal for life, but that is not your purpose. Your purpose is not for your kids to be happy because they're not going to be. You can't make your kids happy. You can raise good kids, and that's good, and that's a good goal to have, but that's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is bigger than your kids. Your purpose is going to have something to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because our purpose ultimately is to glorify God. And so your purpose is going to have something to do with the gospel. And it might be exactly in the place you are now. Maybe you own your own business and your purpose has something to do with that business. And God has given you that business. It was his gift to give it to you. He's put you in that place. And maybe your purpose right now has something to do with that. And so you need to do that as hard as you can. Figure out what that is. Maybe your purpose, you don't own your own business, but it's in the neighborhood you live in or the school that you go to or the school that you teach in or whatever it is. And, and what you, you have a purpose that's beyond your bank account, that's beyond your family, and it's about what God has for you to advance the gospel into places that's never gone. Your purpose is going to have something to do with the gospel. And once you find your purpose, you need to pursue that purpose and you need to remember that the results are up to God. There's going to be circumstances that get in your way. He's bigger than that. There's going to be haters that tell you it can't happen. He's bigger than them. And God's purpose will be accomplished on this earth. And then one day he's going to come back and take all those who've been accomplishing those, who's been doing that, who's been working for his purpose, he's going to take all them home with him. 
And I hope I live to see that. I'm going to pray. We're going to go home. I want you to walk out of here encouraged for this week. If you know your purpose, live it. If you don't know your purpose, search for it. God will give it to you. Let me pray. Father, I'm so thankful that you saw fit to allow Paul to be put in prison because we learn through that. We can be encouraged through that. And you used his imprisonment to spread the gospel to places it would never go. And we are the beneficiaries of that spreading of the gospel. And Father, I pray that we would see our lives through the same lens that Paul saw his life. That we would know that these things that are in our way, these things that seem to be insurmountable to keep us from doing what you've designed us to do, what you've called us to do, that they're not bigger than you. And that you can use the very things that seem to be stopping us from fulfilling your purpose. You can use those things to make your purpose happen. Help us this week as we go our separate ways, as we go into the job force, as we go into schools, as we go into our neighborhoods, to carry the gospel with us wherever we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.